Let's get into the word this morning. My title is How to Look Good Upside Down. How to Look Good Upside Down. Now, be honest. How many of you guys, like me, want to look good and feel important? Can we get a raise of hands? If you're not raising your hands, you're, you're lying to yourself or the rest of us. We, we naturally, we want to feel important. We want to look good. And I don't think that that's a bad thing. Um, there are leadership books and business books that tell people in business, and this, is, this, this might be able to help somebody by itself this morning. They give this advice. Every person, every person in here, every person out there is wearing an invisible sign this morning, right now. And the sign reads, make me feel important. Make me feel important. They say if you're working in business or on your job, if you go out of your way to make the people around you feel important, your chances of success go up astronomically. We run into problems when we forget to make one another feel important. And we don't mean to do that necessarily. But some people really get that more than others. I think, I think one of the people that I know that does that the best is my wife. She makes me feel important all the time. But she works at a school with, I don't know, how many thousand? You got at least a thousand students over there. 1,800 students. And she deals with irate parents. And there's some crazy folks that bring their kids into her. And she is consistently praised on her job because she has the ability somehow to make the people she's talking to feel like what, they, what they're there for is important. So that might help somebody all by itself this morning. If you can remember that every single person is wearing a sign that says, make me feel important. It'll also help you if you're remembering that about yourself. In the text that Todd read for us this morning, Jesus is at a banquet given by an important person in the community. A well-respected leader, religious leader, a Pharisee. This is a person with some influence, and apparently a person with some means. Because he's able to give a banquet where there's a, quite a few people invited. Including Jesus. And maybe they were, they were curious about what Jesus was up to. And what Jesus' mission was really all about. So Jesus accepts the invitation, and he goes to this banquet. On his way in, he heals a guy uh, who has a medical condition. And he sends him on his way. Apparently that guy wasn't invited to the banquet. And then Jesus has a, a short debate with some guys because Jesus healed this man on the Sabbath, which a lot of the Pharisees, religious Pharisees, thought you couldn't do because they considered Jesus' job as going around healing people. And you couldn't work on the Sabbath. And this was a Sabbath. And Jesus told them, well, think about it, guys. If... if if we left, if you were going home today and you had one of your children that fell down into a pit, or forget the children, if you had an ox that fell into a pit, wouldn't you, wouldn't you go and get it out immediately? Now, the ox thing doesn't really click with us today, but it would kind of be like if, if you were on your way home on the Sabbath and you stopped and you had three flat tires, wouldn't you get out and change them? Of course you would. Well, of course, the, the child thing clicks with us. We get that. And so Jesus' opponents didn't have much to say. 
So Jesus goes into the banquet and he's looking around and he notices something interesting about what happens as soon as the doors are open. Now this is what you need to know in, in, before we read the text again. In the first century, in the Near East, they didn't use place cards when they invited people to a banquet. You know what I mean by place cards, right? How many of you guys have been to like a wedding reception? I know Uncle Steve has. <laughs> so, we've, so when you go to a wedding reception, generally speaking, you know, they have the, the tables laid out, and there's the plates and the forks and knives and all that stuff that most of us don't know which one to use first. And on the plate will be sitting a little card that has your name on it. Now, most of the time, this is one of the things that people agonize over. The, um, the bride and groom, because they and their families and sometimes the bridal party has to go and organize who sits at what table. Nobody wants to do that job, by the way, because there's like two things that are guaranteed. One, at a wedding, something is always going to go wrong, and two, somebody's always going to be irritated about something, right? Now, in the ancient Near East, in, when, Jesus is, when, when Jesus is at this banquet, they didn't even use place cards. So there's a banquet and no place cards. And so just like today, where you sit in the banquet is kind of a big deal, right? So imagine a wedding reception. You got your head table, right? Usually bride and groom right in the middle. And then right next to the groom, best man, right next to the bride, maid or matron of honor. And then the bridal party, right? Because those are like the most important people at the wedding reception. And then usually the families, the immediate families, will be seated very close to the head table. Right? You guys clicking? You guys following me? So they can be right up close in the action and so they can be heard when they go, ding, 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 we want you to kiss for the 50th time. Ding, 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 ding. Right? So those are the kind of the easy decisions. And then from there, the tables scatter out and people are grouped together to sit. Right? So at this banquet, in Jesus' day, there's the same kind of rules apply. There's certain seats that are considered more important. Right? And so the host of the banquet, the closer you are to the host, it's kind of like the more important you are. And they reclined at their tables, kind of laid back a little bit. And so they had these couches next to the table, and you could seat like three people on a couch, and normally the middle seat is the most important of that couch. And then you can sit on the this side or that side. And so that's kind of the way that they're organizing it. Now picture it, Jesus is coming into this banquet. There's apparently quite a few people invited. And he notices something, and that's where we're going to pick up our text. Jesus is going to give these people, these people are going to be scrambling, these people are going to be scrambling to look, to look good, and to feel important, just like we do today. They're going to be scrambling to look good and feel important. And Jesus is going to look and observe what they do and give them a parable that is very practical. It's going to give them wisdom to know how to look good and feel important in this age now and in the age to come. And you'll be shocked by how actually wise and practical Jesus is talking, even for just everyday life. 
So you can uh, just listen to it this time. This is from Luke chapter 14, and I'm going to read verses 7 through 11. It says, And when he, Jesus, noticed how the guest chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. When you are invited by somebody to a wedding banquet, don't sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And then the host who invited both of you may come to you and say, you got to give this person your place. And then in disgrace, you will start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go sit down at the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Let's pray. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you would say to us in this moment. By your spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus lets his audience that day and us in on an incredible secret. If I were to boil it down, I would say it like this. Up is down. Up is down. Up is down. Now practically, think about Jesus. Let's just... Think about this practically for a minute. Jesus is sitting. The door is open to the banquet. There are no place cards. Everybody wants to look good and feel important. You ever notice how when people go to a wedding, how many people, they're there for the wedding, right? But they're also there for all kinds of other reasons. Depending on what kind of wedding this is and who's going to be there, you might need to have some business conversations at the wedding. You're going to be wanted, you're, you're, you might want to sit next to some people you need to make some connections with for the business world. You might want to look good at the wedding because if you look important, the chances are you're going to get invited to more banquets, right? You ever notice that? The more important you look, the more people kind of want to invite you to stuff. They want you around. Same way that it was in Jesus' day. So Jesus sees the doors open. There's no place cards anywhere. The crowd comes in, and all of a sudden, all of these people begin to, to scramble and fight and argue to choose for themselves the places of honor at the banquet. They want to look good and feel important. And Jesus gives some practical, almost humorous wisdom. He sees that they want to look good and be important and feel important. And he says, hey, if you really want to look good and feel important, here's what you need to do. Think about it. When you come to the wedding, don't go up there and put yourself in the most important place. Don't presume that you're the most important person in the room. Because think about what will happen if you do, and you're wrong. Say there's, there's an aunt or a grandma you didn't know about that was supposed to be sitting there. When the party gets popping and the guests are more arrived, the host might come up to you and say, Hey, you're sitting in so-and-so's seat. 
By that time, what seats are going to be left? The ones in the back, the ones that are furthest. The least important seats in the room. Jesus says, imagine how ashamed you're going to feel and how dumb you're going to feel if the host has to come to you and say, hey, you got to give up. This seat isn't for you. This seat's for grandma. And you have to get up in front of everybody and walk yourself back and try to look cool to go take the cheap seats. Jesus said, that's just a dumb move, strategically speaking. If you really want to look good in front of this crowd, if you really want to feel important, here's a better strategy. When you walk in, go sit in the cheap seats. Go sit in the cheap seats. Because if you really are, if you really are important, this is what's going to happen when you sit in the cheap seats. The host is going to go, what? Rob, what are you doing back there in the cheap seats? Host is going to come up and say, no, will you get up? Get up and come sit up here by the head table. And then in front of everybody, you're going to get up from the cheap seats and stretch your stuff all the way up to the front and sit down and everybody's going to go, man, that guy must be somebody. That, that woman must be important. Now, see the wisdom of Jesus? I almost think that this would have got a chuckle out of the crowd, myself. Because it's so brilliant that it's obvious. I think the crowd would have been going, yeah, that is smart. Which is funny because now, the next time, when this, all these people are invited to a wedding, they're going to be fighting over the cheap seats. I'm going to sit there. So I want him to call me up in the front. And the bridal party is going to be like, what's the matter with us? Do we stink? Right? Now, it seems like Jesus is just giving some simple, practical advice for making yourself look good in public. Good enough, right? But I think Jesus is actually making an even bigger point. An even bigger point about the entire way we're approaching reality. About the entire way we're approaching reality. How many of you guys saw the movie, um, what was it? Uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, At World's End. Show of hands, At World's End. You guys see it? It's kind of like the last one, right? Now, now help me out. Jack Sparrow, in part two, was killed by the Kraken, sent by Davy Jones. And so he is in the place of the dead, right? What was the place of the dead in that movie? Was that the locker? All right, so he's in Davy Jones' locker, I guess, in the place of the dead. He's out there going crazy. He's got a ship in the sand. And there's white rocks that are turning into crabs running everywhere. Meanwhile, he's one of the nine pirate lords. And they need him to release Calypso. And so his friends, including Barbosa, have to go and get him. And to do that, they need the Black Pearl, right? Actually, no, what is... Do they take the Black Pearl? Doesn't even matter, does it? They get a ship, and they sail over the edge of the world. You remember this? And they go to Davy Jones' locker. And they find Jack Sparrow there, crazy out of his mind, which is not in completely unusual for Jack Sparrow. And they convince him that he must come back to the world of the living. Now, they've got this map 
But the problem with the map is they don't know how to find the way back from the world of the dead to the world of the living. And they're trapped on the seas in the world of the dead with no idea what to do. Do you remember the scene? So they're just looking over the side of the ship and they don't know what to do. And it's a depressing moment. And Jack Sparrow is twisting this thing in the middle of the map. And he's looking at the picture. And he comes up on a phrase that says, up is down. And he's like, the problem is they have to get out of the world of the dead by sunset. Or else they're going to be stuck there forever. Nobody wants to do that. So Jack sees that up is down, and he looks at the picture and realizes that the picture shows a ship upside down in the water. And then it dawns on Jack. Sunset here in the world of the dead is sunrise in the world of the living. And so Jack runs to the side of the ship and says, Hey, what is that? People are like, what? And he goes, what is that? And then more people follow him. And then he goes back over here. And they run. And then they go that way. And then they, all the crowd runs. And then the ship begins to turn back and forth. And back and forth. And then people start to get it. He's rocking the ship. He's rocking the ship is what he's doing. And everybody starts to help him rock the ship. They go down and they cut off the cannons and release the cargo. So it goes here and there to and fro. Until the moment, the tipping moment happens when the ship turns on its side and goes upside down in the water and everybody is under there holding their breath. Except those two idiots that tie themselves upside down on the mast. And then sunset happens in the world of the dead and because they're upside down, they shoot up into the world of the living right side up at sunrise. Do you remember that? For them to move from the world of the dead to the world of the living, they needed to turn their thinking and what they were doing upside down. I think that's what Jesus is saying here. Crikey. That's awesome. Blimey. I think that's kind of like what Jesus is saying here. Saying up is down. If you want to look good, and feel important, up is really down. He seems to be saying that the way people scramble and fight for appearance and for importance in this world only ends in death. That way of doing life belongs to a world which, is, which ends in death. A world that is already moving toward it. And that's not just a religious fact. That's a plain fact of human experience in history, is it not? Think about all the great people that ever lived throughout history. Julius Caesar, Caesar Augustus, this emperor, that emperor. This rich person, that rich person. Did their grand appearance and their, their, their importance to the world change their destination no 
It didn't. Jesus is saying that way of scrambling to, to have an appearance and a sense of importance, the way the world offers it to you, only ends in death. But he says life, true life, is found in going the opposite direction, in turning it upside down. He seems to actually be saying that there is coming a moment when the sun will set in this world of the dead and dawn in the age to come. And he invites us to begin to rock the ship now. It's more than Jesus is giving us more than advice just to how to look good at your next dinner party. He's inviting us to look at reality for what it is. Listen to what he's saying and understand that life is found upside down. Now that's my, if, uh, when I was studying this this week, I was like, well, great, Jesus, thanks for that. How am I supposed to practically live that out? Because I have to live in this world, at least, you know, this is the world I'm in. And I think the kingdom of God and what Jesus is doing is happening. But I live at the moment with one foot in each world. How am I supposed to do what Jesus is saying? I think there's three simple things that we can practically do from this text to really apply it to our lives in a way that I think is practical. So you might want to write these down if you're taking notes. How can you rock the ship now? How can you actually live this principle out that up is down? That if you, if you live in the way of the world and lift yourself up at the expense of others, you will find yourself humiliated. But if you humble yourself for the sake of others, you will find yourself lifted up. How can you do that? One, you can experience, if not enjoy, the present. Experience, if not enjoy, the present moment. It's funny, Jesus is sitting observing, or he's standing observing, all of these people who are coming into this banquet, and what he notices is they're scrambling to choose the best seats for themselves so they look good and feel important. They're actively scrambling around to choose for themselves the seats of honor. That's like their mission when the doors open. It's funny because rather than enjoy the banquet, Rather than enjoy the meeting space, they're busy fighting to get ahead or what they think is going to make them, uh, give them an advantage. They're busy directing their energy toward improving their image or their sense of self-importance instead of enjoying the banquet. If you've ever put on a wedding, you know typically how much effort goes into arranging a wedding. It's ridiculous. Um, Julie and I, we had one of the mo most beautiful weddings I've ever seen. Of course, I'm biased about that. But we had some really wonderful friends that donated some their time and stuff, and it was gorgeous. But it took a lot of work, and there was a lot of women at our church that just volunteered to do it. They loved Julie a lot. And they changed the whole way the sanctuary looked. And we had these candelabras where candles were going up and up and up like this. We had 
all of these uh, wedding attendants and people in the bridal party in tuxedos. I mean, they rented a tuxedo just so they could light a candle for five minutes and stand in the back and take some pictures with us. There was, don't judge me because I know what this is, but there was tulle draped everywhere and ribbons and bows. There was sights and sounds and smells. I, anytime I smell a stargazer lily, I instantly think of my wedding day. Because that, that aroma was heavy in the building. It's wonderful. And then you know about the reception. You know, bridal, I've done enough weddings and worked with enough wedding parties to know, and brides and grooms to know, that they think about all these details, typically speaking. What's the centerpieces on the table going to look like? What kinds of little snackies are we going to set around in the bowls? Will we have any gifts? Do we put cameras there for everybody? Do we have those little mints or peanuts? How many courses in the meal? What's it? What are we having for dessert? What's the cake going to look like? What's the topper going to look like? It's got to be the right topper. If it's not the right topper, this is doomed. I saw a topper at Walmart the other day with a bride dragging her groom. <laughs> you know, all those details. You know what's funny? I mean, not to be like cynical, but having gone to a lot of weddings like a lot of you, it's funny how little your, your guests appreciate. Especially the men. I mean, not all men, but it's like I walk in, I'm like, what's for dinner? <laughs> now, if you throw down some good steak or something in front of me, if I can smell Julie, if Julie can smell some prime rib being sliced over there, you know what I'm saying? That's going to be like, whoo. But, but these hosts of the wedding banquet go through all of this trouble to arrange every detail. The sights, the sounds, the smells. That, that would have been like what Jesus saw here. It would, this would have been a banquet that the host would have gone through some trouble to set up so that people could enjoy it. And what Jesus saw was that these people stormed into the room and occupied themselves not with enjoying what had been prepared for them, but rather stormed the room so that they could find the best seat in the house so they could look good and feel important. It's, isn't that crazy? As I was looking at that this week, I wondered, what if God, in a certain sense, is arranging our lives? What if God is at work arranging our lives and has put tremendous effort so that our lives could be filled with sights and sounds and smells that would bring awe and wonder and joy into our life? And what if, we storm into our daily lives on a mission to find the best seat in the house, to look good and feel important, and we don't even embrace and experience the work of God that might be all around us. I see the guy that takes, see, the guy who walks in the room that takes the least place at the banquet doesn't have to rush in with everybody else. You know, that woman, I see her being able to walk around, look at the sights, appreciate the centerpieces, enjoy the tastes. I wonder if somewhere that isn't what God wants us to be doing life like. 
I'm not saying don't be concerned at all with your future or what you got to do in society, but I'm saying maybe we're all so preoccupied with it, that, with it at times that we're missing the point of this whole thing. Because most, it doesn't it seem like to you that, I mean, I've done a lot of funerals. I've done a lot of funerals, been in a lot of funerals, and people at funerals don't tend to talk about the things that I think are really important in my life half the time. They just don't. I've never been at a funeral one time, not one time, where somebody got up and read this person's closing bank statement. Never once. Never. What do they talk about? I think we can experience the present enough, slow down and look, take a look around. Maybe God's arranging our lives. What else can we do to rock the ship? Number two would be, we can start expressing gratitude. It was interesting, when Jesus told this parable, both people, the guy who's trying to look good and feel important at the expense of others, and the guy who just takes the seat in the back, both of those guys were invited to the wedding banquet. They were invited. But rather than being happy and expressing gratitude that they were for the invitation, rather than being going, rather than saying, all right, tonight, free food. It's going to be some good free food, good free cake. I'm going to get my cha-cha slide on. Whatever it is. <laughs> the Cuban shuffle or Cupid shuffle. Sorry. <laughs> I've only seen Tori do it a lot. And she's Puerto Rican, so Cuban, Puerto Rican. Just different colors on the flag. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Go look at those two flags, see if I'm lying. Uh, <laughs> um, but rather than going, man, I'm going to dress up. I'm going to look good tonight. I'm going to get a fresh shave. I'm going to step out, I'm going to listen to a good band, I'm going to go to a fancy hotel, and I don't have to pay for it. And I'm just invited because this family, this host, I was important enough to them to be invited. See, these guys at the banquet didn't think like that. They walked into the banquet with no gratitude whatsoever and concerned themselves and focused themselves on trying to be there to make themselves look better and to feel more important. In the eyes of the guests, not in the eyes of the host. They obviously didn't really care about what the host who invited them thought. Isn't that fascinating? I've seen that kind of, I mean, working with a lot of weddings, I've seen that kind of stuff happen. I don't know how many times I've seen people involved in weddings who forget the plot of the whole thing. Oh my gosh, bridal parties that get into fights. I want to be the maid of honor. I want to hold her dress and do this. It's not all women either. Guys are usually doing the dumb stuff. <laughs> I heard about a wedding in California where they used a kneeling bench. And the, the couple faced the front. And so they knelt down to pray in a solemn part of the service. And somebody had used bright orange paint and painted on the bottom of the groom's shoes, help me. <laughs> 
seen moms and dads, aunts, uncles, grandmas forget what this is all about and get mad about this, that, and whatever and try to wreck a wedding. Have you ever seen that? I've dealt with it. I mean, I deal with the bride and groom pretty closely. And I can't tell you how many brides and grooms have been like, oh, I just want to kill my parents right now. My grandma is being such a jerk. It's funny. It seems like Jesus is telling us we've been invited. If you're here this morning, you've been invited to life. Now and for eternity in this age and the age to come. What might our lives look like if we learn to regularly look around and express gratitude rather than focus on the negative things we think we need to look better and to feel more important? Could our lives be transformed? Do you know that the United States of America is one of the most unhappy places on the planet? Did you know that? The United States of America is one of the most unhappy countries in the world. Does that make sense? I mean, when you think about everything that we have, gosh, and we are the most unhappy. Do you know who, like, one of the most happy countries in the world is? I was shocked. Vietnam. I think Brazil is another one. India is more happy than us. Western Europe tends to be more happy than us. Indonesia is way more happy than us. Really. People that study this stuff of looking, it's a weird phenomenon. If you listen to Rob's sermon from a few weeks ago, there seems to be empirical data, evidence, that says people who are giving gratitude or expressing gratitude regularly improve their personal happiness by up to like 40%. You get the picture that these people that rushed into this banquet only concerned with how they can make themselves look better and feel more important are probably not very happy people. We can learn to express gratitude. The final thing is we can learn and we can, not only can we experience the present moment, express our gratitude, but we can expect our host to notice and position us in life. It's interesting, the guy who takes the worst place at the wedding, when the host comes up, says, he starts off what he says to this person with this word, friend. He didn't say that to the other guy. Maybe it was because the other guy wasn't being a friend to the host, but was making his job more difficult. But he starts off by saying, friend, what are you doing here? Come on, stand up, come up to a better place. Let me honor you in front of everybody. Seems that the guy who wasn't afraid to be humble, this is important, the guy who wasn't afraid to be humble could trust that he was a friend to the host. He could trust that he was a friend to the host. The host would recognize him. The host would reward her. For her friendship. At that banquet, the host would see them. The host would find them. The host would know where they are. 
the host would recognize them. The host would reward them and honor them for their friendship. What if God wants to call us friends? I think there's really good evidence that he does. What if God wants to recognize and reward us for our friendship with him? I think he does. Jesus seems to be letting us in on this secret that up is down. Because God wants to call us friends. He wants to find us and recognize us. He wants to reward us. He wants to honor us. That's where his heart really is. Five years ago, after we had started at Mass Road and the church had been going for a couple months, as we were beginning, we were heading toward our, or actually we had our grand opening. That summer in 2008, the economy fell apart. We lost somewhere between fifty dollars and $100,000 of initial start startup funds over the course of about a month. We had all these plans and all these things in place, and it all fell apart right in front of us, and there was nothing anybody could do about it. And I watched as it all was crumbling. Nothing I can do. Um, my At that time, I lost... My salary had to be cut dramatically for the church to be able to make it. Um, within that first year, I lost all my medical insurance, and things were very difficult, extremely stressful. Now, Julie, who has been my partner in ministry for 14 years, um, and she had been working. I mean, actually, she was employed in ministry for years prior to this. And she was doing all the secretarial work and administrative work for Emmaus Road. When all that financial calamity hit us, we didn't know how we were going to make it. I think there was one Christmas somewhere in the, in the beginning there where I didn't get paid at all, which is, that was a tough pill to swallow on Christmas. So we didn't know what we were going to do. And Julie decided that she was going to re-enter the, the workforce. We didn't know where she was going to go to work or what she was going to do. Now, my wife is one of the most qualified, talented women in the world, I think. Where, what she's good at, she's the best at, as far as I'm concerned. She, she's incredible. And I knew that nobody would be able to pay her what she was worth. And the job that opened it up opened itself up for her was a job at the poorest, one of the poorest elementary schools in the valley. Was it Copper King? Copper King Elementary School. And the position they opened up for her was being a one-on-one -on -one instructional aid for a child um, with pretty severe autism. And she said yes to it. I had my, I, I was, I, I kind of was like, I don't know if I really want you to do that. You know, that's, of course, that, I mean, being an incredibly poor school, they couldn't pay her well at all. But it was going to be, you know, it was going to be enough where we, you know, could pay the bills and make ends meet. She prayed about it and said yes. 
And so for months, I watched her come home, surprisingly with a smile on her face, with stories about how she would help this kid through his day. Like every aspect of the kid's life. Because he was, was in, in kindergarten. I didn't even ask her if I could tell the story, so I'll be in trouble later. He's a kindergartner. Do you know how kindergartners, they have to get up from their desk and have to go like sit in a circle, Indian style, or sit somewhere Indian style? She had to help him do that stuff. Some days he didn't want to do it. She had to help him try to cope with living, and, and he would act out some days, and it wasn't his fault. You know, he was dealing with autism. And God gave her tremendous grace. And I watched her grow in love for that kid, and she would come home and tell me story after story after story about him. What was his name? Esteban. She'd tell me stories about him and stories about his parents. I was in awe. I was in awe of the, the kind of watched it. As I watched God give her grace to take such an ex extremely humble position, considering what I'd known her to do before. And she found joy and satisfaction and peace in it. And our needs were met. And then I don't even know how it happened, but over the next three, four years, I watched her, I watched people seek her out for job positions. First at Moon Valley High School, where she worked in uh what was it, the, um, the Title I program, working to help turn around math and reading skills for kids that have challenges in that. And what, seriously, is more important than that? And a lot of those kids come from economically disadvantaged situations. If you want to change someone's economics, teach them to read. It's one of the key factors, really is. And the job paid her more. And again, I watched her come home and tell me stories about how God was using her. In fact, that's where she met Katie. Tell me stories about how God was using her and all of these students she was able to help and a few crazy school teachers that like to wrap their head in toilet paper and call themselves Lady Gaga. True story. No. So then, so then, and then all of a sudden, another opportunity comes up. And I'm like going, I don't know, baby, if you should take any of these positions. And she's like praying about it, and she goes, I want to do this. She steps up into another position. It's like she goes from, it, it's like every position she's offered is more appropriate for who she is. And I'm watching her sense of satisfaction and fulfillment, and her income slowly come up and come up and come up and come up and come up. And it all started because she decided one day to not worry about the grand things she had done before or what people thought of her or <coughs> whether other people might think what she does is important or not. And she decided to love a kindergartner with autism. I didn't ask her if I could tell this. But when I look at that, I go, Wow. Because apparently the way up 
is down. Apparently those who serve lead. Apparently those who humble themselves are exalted. And those who exalt themselves at the expense of others will be humble. In our house, I'm the sinner and my wife is the saint most of the time. Look, she's not even saying no. <laughs> I think I think there's a wisdom in that that Jesus was trying to get us to see. That this world's way of scrambling for appearance and a sense of self-importance is death. He invites us to rock the ship, to understand that up is down, and understand where true and real and eternal life, life that is eternal in quality as well as quantity, comes from. He looks at us and says, I want to call you friends. You might feel like you're sitting in an awful place right now. You don't, you're not where you belong. You might feel humbled and broken. But don't worry, your host is going to come and find you. Your host is going to come and find you. There's coming a day, as sure as I'm standing here, where your host is coming to find you. And he is going to honor you in front of everybody. And he's going to lift you from the lowly position you might feel you're in now. And you're going to see yourself where you know you should be. And he's going to call you friend. And that's how this will end. Stand with me.